Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers who are here. We literally would not be here without you. It's true. But happy Mother's Day. I am thankful for my mother. I actually get to see her this afternoon, so happy Mother's Day to all of you here. So we're going to be in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 this morning. Nathan gave you guys 40 verses last week. I'm just going to go through two today, so you guys are getting the two extremes in two different weeks. Before we get into the text, there is an image, an ancient event that we need to kind of think about because the author is going to use it as an illustration, and that is the first century athletic competition. So the Greeks actually began the Olympics, which we are familiar with. We do them even today. But they began them then, and so athletics were a very big part of the culture at that time. Specifically, we're going to look today at the race, the foot race. And so just, just like today, where in, in a race, in an athletic event, there is a stadium, there are spectators, there is cheering, there's excitement, there's struggle, there's pain, there's all these things to get through an athletic event. That was what happened back during the first century. But the other thing that is also something that happened is that the athletes would, like athletes today, train. They would make sure that they were in the best physical condition to compete in their athletic event. And like today, they actually began to get a bit of notoriety or fame because of their athletic ability and because of their competition in these events. So the author of Hebrews is going to use this to help explain to us what the Christian life is like. And so if you will, read with me Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have preserved for us the very words that you have breathed out. And Father, we thank you that you have left us with instructions to follow you and to trust you, and you have left us the the message of the gospel so that we can have hope. And Father God, as we dig into your word this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from you, that we would be convicted and encouraged. Father, give us strength from your word this morning, and may it strengthen us not just today, but throughout our weeks as we go about and live lives out in the world, and seek to make your name known among those around us. 
Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and that I would, that I would only say the words that you would have me to say. Father, teach all of us this morning from your word. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Look with me very quickly at the end of verse 1. The end of verse 1 says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That phrase, that, that partial sentence is actually the core of these two verses. And it is the, the core of what the author is trying to get across to the Hebrews and to us today is that the Christian life is like a race. It is like a marathon. It requires sweat and blood and energy. It is difficult at times, but we need to do it, and we need to do it with endurance. It's this comparison that he makes to a race that, that led us to the title that we have today, which is How to Run the Race. Because not only does the author encourage us to continue in faithful obedience to Christ throughout our lives, but he, he tells us how to do it. And so the three different ways that he will show us how we need to run this race is the first thing, we need to look to the witnesses. Second, we need to lose what slows us. And the last thing we need to do is we need to look to the founder. But the first thing, look to the witnesses. Therefore, now, you guys know me every time I see a therefore, we got to figure out why it's there. The therefore is there. Everything that Nathan taught us about that last week is going to have a bearing on what we're about to read. Because of the therefore, it's connecting what we've read to what we're about to hear. And so when the author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about all the different people that he just mentioned in chapter 11. He's saying, since we are surrounded by so great a, a cloud, meaning a lot, a huge amount, a vast amount of faithful witnesses. Now, in some ways, the, the author, in, in keeping with his, his idea of this athletic event, there, there could be a sense in where he is saying, these people are, are spectators and they're witnessing uh, what, what is happening that could be the sense, but what is far more the sense is that we, as the current athletes, the current people who are running and following Christ with our lives, we need to look to those people as an example for us of faithful obedience, not perfection, but of, of faithful following of Christ to the end through good times, through hard times, through suffering, and through joy. So maybe a, a better illustration for us than, than being an athlete in the stadium for this is, is really to be an athlete walking through the Hall of Fame of our sport. So if I was an NFL player and I went to Canton, Ohio, and I walked through the halls and saw all of these, these guys who played the same sport that I played, I would be encouraged by their stories and I'd be encouraged by their, their strength and their, their ability to play the game. For us, as we look to these faithful followers in chapter 11, we need to look at them and see a faithful example to follow, a faithful example to be encouraged by. We need to look to Moses, to Noah, to Abraham and say, man, those were just regular guys 
They did extraordinary things, not because of any of their ability, but because God was working in them. And they were faithful to the end. Now, we have a little bit of an advantage over the original audience of the book of Hebrews. The original audience of the book of the Hebrews had the Old Testament faithful witnesses. We have those faithful witnesses, but we also have the entirety of Scripture. We not only get to learn about Moses and Noah, but we get to learn about Peter and James and John. We get to learn about Paul. We get to learn about Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Apollos. We have so many faithful witnesses that we can look to and be encouraged of. We also, as Nathan mentioned last week, we have 2,000 years of church history that we can look back and we we have biographies and we have stories of countless faithful witnesses, faithful people who endured through awful things. But they endured and they were faithful to the end. So we are to look to these witnesses. We are to be encouraged by their testimony of the faithfulness of God and by their testimony of being faithful to the end, regardless of what was happening to them or around them. The second way that we run the race is we lose what slows us. Let us also Lay aside every weight. Now, what the author is doing here is would actually have made the Hebrew audience, the Hebrew Christians, a little uncomfortable. And it would have done that because if we think of if we think of runners today, if we think of not just somebody who goes out and runs, but like a real athlete who goes out and competes in the Olympics or something like that. Not only do they train, not only do they lay aside weight because they're, they're training and they're trying to lose weight so they don't have any extra weight to carry, but have you ever felt the clothes of a runner? It's like Bible page thin. It is really thin. They don't want any additional weight to slow them down. You don't see a marathon runner strap on a backpack of rocks and then go run. They shed what they can. Their, their shoes are light. I don't even know how, what they're making those shoes out of, but you pick them up, and it's literally like picking up a cloud when you pick up a really expensive pair of running shoes. They are so light. Well, if, if runners today take those extremes, it would make us really uncomfortable to know what the runners of that day did because they didn't only just shed backpacks and heavy clothes. They just went the whole way. And they shed everything. And so for, for us now, that makes us uncomfortable. But for Hebrew Christians who are used to, you know, propriety in, in Jewish law and custom, this would make them really uncomfortable. But the author's trying to make them uncomfortable. <clears throat> because when he says, we must also lay aside every weight, he's not even talking about sin yet. He's talking about anything that would get in the way of us following, faithfully following and enduring in our pursuit of Christ and following after him. Nathan, uh, we were at a men's conference a couple weeks ago, and he says he got this from somebody. I don't know who he got it from, but he, he said, good gifts make really bad gods. Good gifts make really bad gods. There are a lot of blessings that we have There are a lot of really good things 
that we have, but none of them should ever take the primary importance in our lives. We can, we can have comfort, we can have safety for ourselves and our families, we can have tangible goods, but the second we take any of those and make them more important to us than Jesus, that becomes a weight that we must lay aside. Now again, those are, those are good things. A lot of those things are good and they're blessings. We just need to make sure that they are secondary to our pursuit of Christ and to our love for him. Jesus himself talks to us in the book of Luke about just what this looks like. In, in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus' statements make us uncomfortable, but Jesus is, is getting the point across to us that he must be most important to us. Faithful obedience to him must be the most important thing, and everything else needs to be set aside. The author goes on, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. When we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we are saved, we have faith in Jesus, but it's, that's a, a coin with two sides, faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, they come together. When we become followers of Jesus, we, we don't become perfect overnight. We don't become perfect at any point throughout our lives. If we did, then the author should just toss out the, final pre the previous chapter. Because as Nathan told us, there are no perfect names in that list. In fact, there are some names of people in that list who did some really, really awful things. We are not called to perfection, but our, our posture, our stance toward our sin must change when we become a follower of Jesus. Instead of loving our sin or even just being okay with our sin, we instead have a relationship with our sin where we hate our sin. Where we do not like the fact that we are sinners and we still have issues within ourselves and we are constantly working towards repentance. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We need to be sure that as faithful followers of Jesus that we are in a constant state of repentance. We are constantly repenting of sin that we see that comes up. Now, if you are an unbeliever in this room, you must repent of your sin, but the biggest sin that you are in trouble 
about is your sin of non-belief in Jesus. There are many, many other sins that we, that we all have, both believer and non-believer, but that is the chief of sins, rejecting Jesus as the Savior and the Son of God who lived and died and rose again. And so, unbeliever, this is harsh, but if you do not repent of that unbelief, then that will send you straight to hell. If you do not repent of not believing in Jesus and trusting in him, you will be separated from God from all of eternity and you will experience God's just wrath against your sin. But non-believer, there is hope in Jesus and hope in a faith relationship and repentance from your sin in him. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But if you're a believer in this room, Each and every one of us is subject to temptations and sins. But if you are a believer in this room and you have sin, whatever it may be, and you've grown okay with it, if you have sin and you, you have stopped fighting it and you have just gotten to the point where you're, I'm, I'm going to be okay with that sin, I'll follow after Jesus, but I'm going to leave this, that's, that's mine, I'll, I'll keep that where it is. Number one, this passage is telling us that you will stumble. But there is no category in Scripture for the unrepentant, for a believer who has unrepented sin in their life. We must be repenting of our sin. We must be fighting our sin each and every day. And I will, I will say to, to believers in the room, if you are struggling with a sin habit or any sin in your life because repenting of sin is not always easy. It doesn't happen overnight. But if you are struggling with that, number one, look around you. You know, this text, it, it doesn't use, it uses first person plural pronouns because the, the author is saying we are a church, we are together. And so if, if you are in a situation where you have a sin that you need to repent of, you have brothers and sisters all around you who want to help, who want to help you in your repentance of your sin. If you need help with repenting of sin and you are struggling, come talk to Nathan and I. We would love to talk to you and help you to work towards repentance. We are not supposed to fight the battle of repentance on our own. We must use each other and we must help and encourage each other to fight and battle sin together. Don't leave unrepentant sin in your life. Fight it. Fight together with others. Struggle against it. Be killing sin, or it will be killing sin, or it will be killing you. The author goes on, he goes on to the, the main point. Again, let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, the author is just telling us this is, a, this is an endurance race. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's almost even like if we could think of a good example today, if you guys have ever heard of a mud run. There are long runs, but it's not just a run. Sometimes there are obstacles and nasty obstacles and walls to climb. 
mud pits to slog through. That is the Christian life sometimes. And we must run with endurance. Sometimes we may be crawling. Sometimes we may be sprinting. But we need to continue and persevere through every, every struggle and every bit of pain and suffering. But there is a comfort because it is a race that was set before us. Set before us, that means somebody put it there in front of us. We didn't choose our race, so we don't choose how hard or how easy some parts of our, our following of Christ are, but, but know this, someone did choose it for you, and that is God, your heavenly Father. And so even though you may go through suffering and you may go through hardship or you even may go through joys that surprise you, God is not surprised by any of them. He knows what you are going through because he is the one who set the race before you. So be comforted that, that your heavenly father knows what you go through. And he is with you as you run. Well, our last point is we must look to the founder. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Now, there are a couple different ways that we need to look to Jesus. But first, we, we need to look to Jesus. When the author says, look to something, when we, as human beings, look at something, we are not chameleons when we can look at one thing and look at something else at the same time. No, when we look at something, we look at it, and we look at nothing else. That's why some of your translations might say, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. We are looking to him and him alone to be our Lord and Savior, and to be the one who saves us from our sin, and to be the reason that we run. But a couple of things that ways that Jesus is our founder, ways that we need to look at him, we need to realize that, number one, Jesus starts our race. Jesus is the founder of our faith. We have faith. If we are a believer in Jesus, we have a faith relationship with him because he started it in us. He is the one who died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin it's not us that did anything in order to deserve that or earn that or anything that we did in order to become right with God. Jesus does that himself. And hear me today, if you are here and you think that somehow you can get yourself right with God and you can get yourself to a point where God will accept you one day just by tipping the scales and just doing a couple more good things than bad things, please hear me, you are dead wrong. You can never do that. The Bible says that even the good things that we do, and compared to God's righteousness, they're filthy rags. They're worth nothing. But what Jesus has done tips the scales and breaks them. Jesus is the one who founds our faith. Jesus is the foundation that our faith must be built upon. He is the cornerstone of our faith. I mean, if, a, if an athlete begins a race in the wrong way, they're disqualified. If they begin the race, if they go too early or anything else, if they begin their race poorly or in the wrong way, they are disqualified. 
And so Jesus in Matthew gives us a very sober warning when he says, many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Our participation in this race, our following after Jesus, our seeking to one day be a part of the family of God in heaven has to begin with Jesus. There is no other way. It must begin with faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus doesn't only start our race, but Jesus helps us to finish the race. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Not only does our relationship with Jesus, not only does our faithful, obedient pursuit of him throughout our lives start with Jesus, but it must every single day be dependent on him to continue to work within us in order to reach the goal of being with him one day. There is no Christian who can at one point and one day say, you know what, Jesus, today, I got it. I don't need your help today. I can, I can do this, this walking as a believer and a follower of you all on my own. No, we, we can't do that. On our own, we will slip back into all of our old habits and our old ways, and we will fall flat on our faces if we are not daily on our knees before Jesus saying, Jesus, help me to run today. Help me to run after you today. Please sustain me. No matter what I go through, be with me and perfect my faith in you today. We cannot do this on our own. But the Bible does tell us that he will perfect our faith. He will finish. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If Jesus has begun a work in you, be comforted and be encouraged. He will finish it. He will finish it. We must depend on him every day of our race, every day of our struggle. The last reason we should look to the founder is because Jesus has finished the race himself. The very end of our passage, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. We were encouraged at the beginning of this passage to look at faithful followers of God. I encouraged you to look throughout the Old Testament to faithful followers of God, and there are plenty of faithful followers that we can look to as an encouragement and as an example, but none of them comes close to looking to our very Savior himself as our ultimate example of faithful obedience. Jesus was faithful to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus knew the joy and the victory that was coming to him. He knew that he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that through his death and resurrection, many would be counted righteous. And so he endured through the worst of suffering. He endured the sinless son of God dying a sinner's death, a shameful death. 
and a painful death. But even more than that, in ways that we can even, even begin to grasp, Jesus on that cross bore the full weight of the full righteous wrath of God against our sin. And Jesus endured all of those things, looking towards the finish line and knowing what was coming. We too must endure with Jesus as our example because we are looking forward to a joy that is Jesus himself. Jesus is the one at the finish line waiting to welcome us. We get to look forward to one day enjoying Jesus and enjoying him forever. That is why we endure. That is why we run this race, no matter how hard or how difficult it may be, because Jesus is waiting at the other end. And even though we don't deserve it, when we trust in him and believe in him and repent of our sins, he comes to us when we see him in that day and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't deserve to hear that. You don't deserve to hear that. But that is what he will say one day. And that is a joy beyond all compare. And it will never end. Jesus is our founder. He starts our race. He finishes our race. He finished the race himself. But he is also the prize and the goal of our race. Let us endure Let us run with everything that we have. Let us reach Jesus by his mercy and his grace and his sacrifice on the cross. Let's pray.